Hey, this is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream, Refuge Recovery, and Dharma Punks. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. I hope you're enjoying the Dharma. Together, may we create a positive change on this planet. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes. May our paths cross soon. So my name is Jason Murphy, and this is Against the Stream. Welcome, those of you who are new. Yeah, feel free to pull some other cushions. There's get Buddhist. My favorite line of NWA: "Straight meditate like a Buddhist." Nineteen eighty-seven. Old school. Yeah, this is Against the Stream and Wednesday Night Class. Um, glad you guys are here. Those of you in the room, those of you on the Zoom, maybe some more people are going to be joining in. Those of you in the future world of YouTube, watching later. I have, uh, instead of doing just a general like introduction, exactly, it's Express Yourself. Uh, instead of doing a... Um, general kind of introduction for people. I'm going to read um, a kind of a contemplation. It's a teaching and then that'll, it's going to be also also the theme for the evening uh, and the theme for the talk. But before we get into, before I get into telling you what I think about the theme, I'm going to read the, it's a teaching from the Buddha. Um, and then we're going to break into little small groups and just have and you guys are going to share with each other about um, this, this quote. And I think I'm going to really try to do the breakout with you guys on the Zoom and have it be successful. I think I've figured it out. So the topic, um, so last week I spoke about, okay, so we're going to do a little contemplation then we'll do a meditation and then we'll have some discussion or um, a talk on a theme and this theme I'm going, to, I'm going to start going through the four noble truths the you know the main teaching of found in all aspects of buddhism so it doesn't matter like you know there's different kinds of buddhism uh, this our particular lineage is the thai forest lineage so it's theravadan buddhism but there, you know, there's Zen Buddhism and Chan Buddhism and Tibetan Buddhism and, um, you know, Korean Buddhism and, you know, just everywhere that the that the Buddhist teachings kind of flourished. Sri Lankan Buddhism, there's a little bit left in India, but really pretty much not. It's pretty much Tibetan Buddhism or Mahayana Buddhism in India. But uh, there was a, you know, little little different translations, different kind of um, uh, approaches to really the same theme and which is freedom from suffering and in the um, all of the aspects of Buddhism all the styles or sects of Buddhism really all that what is considered Buddhist philosophy Buddhist psychology is the four noble truths and the eightfold path and then the practice um, of the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path. If that's not in there, it's not Buddhism. And so 
Um, I'm going through last week. I talked a little bit about uh, a little bit the Buddha story and the really I kind of gave the pre you know the pre teaching of talking about you know the cause of suffering or I should say suffering the first noble truth the the reality of, that there is suffering um, and some of like the battle with Mara like this kind of vanquishing of the uh, aspects of our ego or our kind of um, detrimental you know hindrances found in psychology also and uh, so we're going to expand on that and talk about the second noble truth today and then and then the third noble truth and then the fourth noble truth which will then open up into the eightfold path which is really the prescription that the buddha laid out as the way that we can free ourselves from suffering all right let me just see if there's anyone else waiting in the waiting room there is before we uh, get this party started all right, so here's the quote. This is a trans, it's my favorite translation of, of the Second Noble Truth. Um, and it's uh, a direct translation from Ajahn Amaro. Ajahn Amaro is a senior teacher in our lineage, um, in the Thai forest lineage, a student to Ajahn Chah. Ajahn Chah was um, a Thai meditation master. Um, he died. Uh, like some, somewhere, in, I think, in the 80s. And um, Ajahn Amaro is the, one of the current kind of, uh, I call them like, they're like the godfathers. He's like a capo in the, in the system, right? Samedo's the godfather. Amaro's his lieutenant. Um, I have a funny story about that, but I'm not going to get into it right now. And uh, this is the second noble truth from the Samyutta Nikaya, which is a group of teachings that are the, the, the teachings of the Buddha, the oldest um, teachings of the Buddha. It says, this monks is the noble truth of the cause of suffering. It is that craving, compelling, intoxicating, which causes us to be born into things again and again, ever seeking fresh delight, now here, now there, it is namely the craving for sensual delight, the craving to be something, and the craving to feel nothing. I'll read it one more time. This, monks, is the noble truth of the cause of suffering. It is that craving, compelling, intoxicating, which causes us to be born into things again and again, ever seeking fresh delight, now here, now there, it is namely the craving for sensual delight, the craving to be something, and the craving to feel nothing. Okay, that's the lead in. So now what I'd like for you guys to do is just, you know, get together in like threes, if that's cool, just like turn to someone um, in little groups of threes. I know sometimes people are like, oh, no, I don't want to do that. You know, be distanced. You can do that. And just, just give yourself a few minutes. And uh, so let's do that. And then I'm going to break you guys out, and I'll bring you back in, in like three minutes. Okay? So you guys are going to be in groups of three as well. Yeah. <laughs> 
Harmon, did you not get in? The, did you not get in the group? Hi, Monica. Um, we just broke up into groups, so it'll just be a minute. Um, let's see. I don't know if I can add you to a group. Oh, I can add you.
All right, here we go. Back to the large group. Thank you for participating in uh, little group discussions. Sometimes I feel like it's just, it's rich to, you know, contemplate an idea and then, you know, chew on it a little bit with your peers instead of just around chewing on it in your own mind, right? So what came up? Any um, reflections, thoughts, questions? We'll have a little bit of time for sharing. If you're uh, on the Zoom, you can uh, raise your hand. I think it's in the participant. And then... Um, We'll meditate a little bit on this or other things. So what came up? Thoughts, reflections. Please. Yeah, the part about thinking nothing. Mm -hmm. You ever, um, no, it's craving to feel nothing. Yeah. You ever smoke tons of weed? <laughs> yeah, right. So it's the same, it's that, it's that addictive avoidance of numbing out. And for some people, it's alcohol and drugs. And for some people, it's sex or work or, well, actually work is an interesting thing because it can be the other one, the craving to be somebody, you know, to be something, make a name for myself. Anyway, I don't want to jump the gun. But anyway, that's what's meant. It's more like that kind of subduing, numbing, feeling nothing. I don't want to have feelings, you know, I don't want to um, experience I don't know, you know, the hardships. Usually it's negative feelings. I don't want to, I don't want to feel stress or sadness or depression or guilt or, but then that's not always the case when it comes to, you know, uh, uh, positive or pleasant feelings, right? I want to feel happy. I want to feel joy. I want to feel excitement, you know? So there's a grasping and, a, and an aversion. So that's what is meant. Yeah. How I not pay the bill? Yeah, right. Like I, I have, a, I have a mail problem. Like I don't like to open my mail until like it's like red or it says final notice or whatever. Then I'm like, all right, okay. I just I have a thing about you know maybe it's from when I was younger and I had all these bills coming in and I let my mail just stack up. It's mostly bullshit anyway. What about anyone uh, online? Any, any thoughts or contemplation? This is also my way of kind of extending the entry period because sometimes people come in uh, 10 minutes in. So welcome. So if we can discuss how, um, you know, healthy, healthy attachment because of human striving a little bit mm -hmm. to be good. Um, and the idea of like 
that there might be a difference between like detachment and clinging. Mm-hmm. Um, with energy involved in that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from a, from a retreat that I just got back from, we people talk about how we're addicted to craving self. I would agree wholeheartedly and that and maybe we'll assess that out a little bit more yeah 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 so the what's craving what's attachment what's you know uh what some people would say well you you said striving or um healthy attachment i guess versus unhealthy attachment yeah i'll just share because i didn't share anything but um so like for me because i'm not in sobriety, I'm in mm-hmm. sobriety, emotional sobriety. And so um, craving for it to be different, you know, mm-hmm. craving for that family that I, with a lot of addiction. If they can all just change and just, act right. Just, yeah, just that craving. Even now, like, as I have a lot of time in recovery, it's just like wishing they could be different and mm-hmm. sober or, you know, or just show up in a different way. But it's great that I come here because I don't act on any of it. Mm-hmm. And you see, and, and, and you probably see it arising yeah, more I often mean, now. Yeah, yeah, which is the beauty of mindfulness and mm-hmm. this practice is it allows us to see clearly that. And being kind, I'm like so much kinder. Yeah, yeah. Um, great. I'm sure that your family appreciates it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, whatever. You know, so they, right, right. They might not even notice, right? Yeah, I'm like on that one. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Um, so we'll loop back around, and then we'll open up again for some more, some more discussion. Uh, and I'll I'll try to do my best to give a little bit of more information and some uh, some of my thoughts about uh, this quote which I've been sitting with for probably at least a decade now, since I first heard it. Um, Yeah. All right. So let's meditate. So finding a posture that's workable, that's sustainable, where you feel, you know, relaxed and alert, uh, whatever that looks like to you. It's helpful to have your feet on the floor. It's helpful to have your back in some kind of an upright position, but not rigid. You know, give your head a little bit of a shake. It's helpful to allow the eyes to close. Not necessary to have your eyes closed. For some people, it freaks them out. They're worried about people walking up on them or whatever. Um, You're in a safe space, but if you want to have your eyes open, just allow them to be downcast. And then just settling in, taking a few deeper breaths, really feeling the lungs expand and contract. Good opening to the comings and goings of sound, sounds outside the room. 
sounds inside the room. And in some way, arriving here, this sitting, breathing body, this present time experience with all of its thoughts and sounds and sensations, Sometimes it's helpful to give the mind a job. So saying just some simple phrases with the in-breath and the out-breath, something like here, now. Another suggestion would be calm, relax. is a way to keep the attention connected to the breath. Of course, the mind will wander off. It's actually not a problem. It's just what minds do. Think, plan, remember. Whenever we recognize that this attention has wandered off, with a sense of friendliness or kindness with the mind, aiming the attention back. 
again and again. Just recognizing when the attention wanders off and with that sense of friendliness or kindness with the mind, aiming the attention back. This sitting, breathing body This experience of breathing in present time.
is it possible to soften into the breath Allowing the breath to just hold the attention. Become curious. What's happening here? This breath, this body, this mind. Right here.
what can be known about the breath, about this present time experience.
What can we let go of that's in the way of our own peace and ease? So perhaps just reflecting on that last, I don't know, maybe it was 25 minutes. We had, we went a little longer with the discussion, so, which was great. Maybe it felt like five minutes, maybe it felt like an hour and a half. Time's funny that way. Like what? Just reflecting on what was that like? Pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. So just to <clears throat> kind of recap. The Buddha, after his awakening experience, wasn't sure that we'd get it. <clears throat> he wasn't sure that people would understand or comprehend. And he definitely uh, wasn't sure that people would have the um, wherewithal to do the difficult thing, to wake up to the truth of suffering and find its end. So after his own battle, internal, um, mostly, with some external as well, challenges, he sat in this blissful state next to a, um, like a pond where there were lotus blossoms of different colors. And 
kind of searched his mind, searched his heart, out newly awakened. Around, and he was kind of was he was like thinking, okay. I mean, I don't really know what he's thinking. I just know what the translations are. <laughs> that he was contemplating, because later on he's talking to his monks about it. Right? He's talking about his enlightenment experience and his contemplation to teach. And he was basically like, I don't know. I don't know. It was so fucking difficult. And at one point, as he's speaking to his uh, monks, his disciples, his students, he said, if there were two, um, if there were two, what's the word? Energies as strong as desire, he didn't think he would, would, would have awakened. If there were two energies as strong as desire, he didn't think he would have awakened. Now, desire can be translated in lots of different ways. Lust is one way. Craving is another way. The uh, word that um, the Buddha uses to describe craving is tanha. And in Pali, the word tanha Again, it means craving, it means thirst, it means attachment, it means grasping, it means desire. And the direct translation is the unquenchable thirst. Tanha. So the Buddha is saying, if there were two energies as strong as, that's what it was, as strong as desire, he doesn't think that he would have achieved his goal. So that's pretty powerful, which is why in the second noble truth, he states very clearly the diagnosis for our, ail our ailment, which is caught in the cycle of suffering, is tanha, craving, selfish and self-centered craving. This is this, you know, born into things again and again, ever seeking fresh delight, now here, now there. It's namely the craving for sensual delight and the craving to be something and the craving to feel nothing. So this be something is this grasping, this selfing, this me, mine, or this feel nothing, this pushing away, unpleasant experience, avoiding that which is difficult. Basically, suffering, dukkha, can be translated as dissatisfaction. And even more so, kind of dissatisfaction with the way things are. What is it that the Buddha, you know, what is it, what does Nibbana, Nirvana, enlightenment mean? It means the clear seeing of the way things are. That's it. It's not this levitating, floaty, heavenly, blissed out state, which I think 
gets misunderstood, mistranslated. There may be some kind of yogic implications that get kind of thrown in there and some, you know, other, you know, Western religious kind of implications. Nibbana or nirvana means the extinguishing of the flame. It was a household word that was used at the time of the Buddha to just mean like to nibbana the flame, like if you're just gonna turn off the kettle, right? To nibbana the flame, just uh, uh, extinguishing the flame. What's the flame? The thing that burns? Suffering. What is the fuel for the flame? Craving. So this is you know, so the Buddha was sitting in and he is kind of like, wow, man, I'm getting all these cool insights and it's just all becoming real to me and I'm seeing the reality of things. And he's like, man, I don't know. I don't know. This world, people are so um, deluded with caught up in the rat race of greed, hatred, and delusion not seeing clearly, you know, uh, caught in uh, anger and ill will and resentment and, uh, and then striving for being something, having a name, having things so attached. He's like, this practice, what's necessary is going against the stream. Now, I used to be like, I don't know, it's against the stream. Like, what's that? Okay, I get it. Like a swam, salmon swims upstream. And then one time I was in and like, it's, oh, probably not that difficult, you know. Um, what he's talking about is the flow of just kind of allowing our mind to do whatever the hell it wants. And not actually providing any, you know, resistance. Allowing the consumerist kind of, uh, attitude or, you know, what America is so built on, which is greed, hatred, and delusion. Absolutely. Any, any doubts about that? Greed, hatred, and delusion. Founding fathers, <laughs> right? Hatred of the British, greed of the land, delusion that they owned it just by landing here, by mistake, you know? Greed, hatred, and delusion. It just kind of has perpetuated. Now, I'm not anti-American, you know, I mean, I was born here, I live here, but, but, you know, there's a reality and it's becoming more and more, you know, clear, I think, as our society has, uh, has less dust in their eyes, which is what the Buddha contemplated. He's, he was like, now wait, there are those few in each generation who will have less dust in their eyes. They won't be so deluded. They won't be so attached to greed. They won't be so fired by uh, ill will and hatred that they maybe can wake up and see the way things are. And that gave him enough hope and compassion and so he's, uh, the, the way that the story goes, it's one of, my, one of my favorite stories. He looks over at this pond. And so as he's telling his, his monks, his students later, 
he looks over at this pond and he would see that the, some lotus blossoms would rise above the murky kind of muddy. Have you ever seen where lotus blossoms grow? They're like, you know, mat infested, like mosquito, like this just like gross, just sludge. And so, but then they rise above and they bloom into these beautiful, you know, flowers. And he would see that each seed of the lotus deep in the mud has the potential to fully bloom, but not all will. Some will never sprout. They'll never grow a vine. Some will grow to a certain length, but still stay submerged. And others will rise above the, the murk and bloom. And, and, and this is the, where he began to go, okay, so those guys that I was hanging out with doing that crazy aesthetic yoga, they were pretty close. Like they had lost, they had let go of a lot of attachment. They were still a little delusional because they thought that standing on one foot and eating one grain of rice a day was going to bring them liberation, which is why I left them homies and went and did my own thing ultimately discovering the middle path, mindfulness. Okay, I'm getting distracted. Um, so that motivated him to get up from his blissful kind of meditative, deep in jhana state. Jhana is this kind of elated, um, tranquil, joyous state that can be found within meditation. And uh, so he got up and he was like, I'm going to go talk to my friends and I'm going to give them, I'm going to give them the news. You know what I mean? Like, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to say, look, this is what I recognize. This is what I realized. Maybe they'll get it. Maybe they won't. I hope they do. And so he, and he, so he was formulating as he was walking from uh, Bodhgaya, India to uh, Varnasi. No, not Varnasi to Deer Park, um, Benares, which was about, actually it is outside of Varnasi, about, uh, it's about 45 minutes to an hour outside of Varnasi, and uh, between Varnasi and Bodhgaya, took about four hours on a train, so I would say probably maybe a day or two to walk, mindfully. So he was formulated this, the Four Noble Truths because he wanted them to wake up in the first teaching. And then later, as he began to teach more and more, he kind of broke these things down in all these little ways. First noble truth. There is suffering in this world. There is suffering that we all experience. Stop denying it. Acknowledge it. Turn toward it. Examine the suffering. All of the Four Noble Truths break down to three insights that are necessary to have. There is an origin of suffering, which is attachment. And craving. The craving should be let go of. So first is that the, the origin of suffering. First insight. The second insight, 
uh, the craving should be let go of. And the third insight is craving has been let go of. So we utilize these three in all insights in meditation, recognizing that there's something, there's some affliction in the mind. This is what the hindrance is too. There's, there's greed, there's hatred, there's some form of delusion. Sometimes not, delusion is really hard to recognize. I don't know if you've ever experienced that when you come out of delusion of something, you know, it's like you're in denial of a, of a reality and then you come out of that denial, you know, and it's like, oh shit, how come I never noticed that before? I'm like a selfish, self-centered prick. I never knew that or, you know, whatever. Right. And, um, or, you know, I'm, a, I'm really attached or, you know, there's some, so there's the, the first is that kind of recognition. And then this kind of uh, recognizing that it should be let go of, not pushed away, not stuffed away, let go of. And I'll talk a little bit more about that later. And then uh, the, the last is to recognize that it has been let go. Oh, I'm no longer afflicted by greed. I'm no longer afflicted by the hindrance of doubt. So to recognize, oh, wow, I fucking made it through that rough patch. You know, this is, this is part of what insight is made. This is what insight means. All right. So there's three kinds of desire. So you guys you brought up kind of desire earlier um, from the Buddhist perspective, okay? There's the craving for sense pleasure. There's the craving to become someone. And then there's the craving to get rid of blank, okay? So the craving for sense pleasure. This is what we contemplate in this kind of origin of suffering. Sense pleasure, smells, uh, what we see, what we touch, what we taste, what we're hearing, what we're thinking, that is pleasing to us, and the attachment to that. And the opposite is also true. The getting rid of all of the smells, the thoughts, you know, go and get like, I, I invite you, like next time you're walking your dog, and you're going to pick up their shit, try to have a non- aversive reaction to smelling their shit and see if it's possible probably not i mean it definitely wouldn't be for me it's ingrained it's in you know it's instinctual to avoid that which is unpleasant and we get addicted to that too that's the getting rid of and particularly if it's internal qualities. And this often turns into self-judgment. You know, I don't like that about me. I don't like that about my personality. I don't like that about them. Whatever that is and whoever they are, right? And this is a cause of suffering. So sense pleasure. Uh, reflecting on eating too. Eating meditation is a great practice of looking at this kind of um, you know, attachment, desire, craving, sense pleasures. Even your, what's your relationship to eating, right? Whether it's uh, compulsive, whether it's pleasure seeking, whether it's avoidance, 
And then even just the act of, I've done lots of different kinds of, of eating meditation um, and I love it. I, I, you know, I don't do it that often unless I'm on meditation retreat. Sometimes I'll sit and I'll contemplate, you know, what it is I'm about to put in my body, but usually I'm just like scarfing it down because I've got another appointment or something like that, right? Or, or I'm enjoying it with somebody and we're having a conversation and, you know, so what I love about meditation retreats is you really get to slow it down and, and see what's prepared, look at the colors. You know, there are some people who just do this naturally. Smell the different aromas, enjoy, you know, the sense pleasure of it, taking a bite, setting the fork down, chewing it, you know, 20 times. I think Technot Han says 30 times till it becomes soup in your mouth then swallowing it, then noticing the desire for the next bite, then read, then the, and, you know, there's just a whole thing that can, that can happen with it. Uh, it's, it's a good way to kind of really look at desire and craving, and then also our relationship to food, and how we, we often have a very complicated relationship to food, or we're just totally unaware of it. It's just fuel, just fuel. I know people that are like that too. Just fuel. They're just eating protein bars and shakes and, you know, taking handfuls of kale and just chomping it to get, just get the vitamins, you know. Um, so sense pleasure. So then there's this uh, becoming. There's a little bit, I think someone had mentioned uh, uh, about this, like what's wholesome desire? Is there a striving in our society, or is there, a, is there a positive kind of attachment? I don't know of a positive attachment, but I do know that there are what's, what, what the Buddha described as, well, he used the, the, the Buddhist term is uh, kusala akusala. Kusala, wholesome. Akusala, unwholesome. Desire. So there is the desire that leads to wholesome results not in the world, in our minds and hearts. Because there's that, that, that actually that craving, that compelling, that intoxicating, like money, like prestige, like fame, like jaguars, like, you know, whatever. Trips to Hawaii, you know, this, uh, that can be intoxicating. This is why I work. I remember this old commercial, um, probably late 80s, early 90s, and it was like a guy in a business, like a stockbroker or something, and he was like, I do more cocaine so I can work more, so I can do more cocaine, so I can make more money, so I can do more cocaine, so I can work more. You know, it was just this cycle, this little rat race that he was kind of in in his mind, and it was like, you know, like I don't know, it wasn't like this is your brain on drugs, but it was like, you know, <laughs> Basically, yeah. I can't remember the catch. I can't. I can't remember the. It was a commercial, yeah, in the late '80s, early '90s. It came on at like three in the morning, you know, because that's where the, that's where the meth and cocaine addicts were, staying real busy. Right? So anyway, it's just that kind of you know compelling, intoxicating, disguised as success, right? So this becoming. We get caught up in the realm of ambition, of attainment, you know, the desire to become something 
other than we are. When what Buddhism really points to is we're awesome, just as we are. We just forget. And we're lied to and inundated with messages that say, you're not good enough. Yeah, I'm sorry, you're just not good enough. Doesn't matter actually what you do, you're never gonna be good enough. You can get this product this day and this product tomorrow, and you're still not gonna be good enough, but we're gonna claim that you will be good enough if you get all of these products and that car and take that trip and that CEO position, you know, whatever it is, right? Believing the lie that they're telling you. We all, I mean, I've gotten super sucked into it. So we get caught up in the, that movement, right? Striving to become happy. One day I'll be happy if I get the new iPad 27, you know? Then I'll be happy. If I get the perfect partner, then I'll be happy. If my boss gets off my back, then I'll be happy, right? You get my point. So seeking to become you know, wealthy or um, make our life feel important. Of course, there's nothing wrong with being happy. There's nothing wrong with feeling successful. There's nothing wrong with having a job that you enjoy. There's nothing wrong with having millions and fucking billions of dollars. But if all that matters is the, the, the doing, the getting, the being, that is the craving. That's the attachment. And then the keeping, right? I like have done this thing uh, where I just would give all my possessions away because I was like, if I, I could die fucking tomorrow, you know, I don't need it. Or I, or I just, I was like traveling. I didn't need any of this stuff. I'd let go of everything. So I was like giving stuff away and, you know, now I'm like, God, I really loved that jacket, you know. <laughs> I didn't know I was still going to be alive and back in California, you know. Not that I need a jacket in Los Angeles. Anyway. Sometimes even this becoming around spirituality, this really, uh, this spiritual pride I talk about sometimes. But it's all an attempt to become something other than what we are right now. Because there's some hidden message, and in psychology, uh, we call it a negative core belief. But a negative core belief that was embedded at six or five or eight that says, you're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You're not funny enough. You're not good looking enough. You're not thin enough. You're not, you know, it just, and then it just, and then society just packs it on. And it's not your parents' fault necessarily. They're just, you know, they were just doing what they were doing. It's not your teacher's fault. It's not, it's not really anyone's fault. It's definitely not your fault. But that's where a lot of what it comes down to is we blame ourselves. You know, this is my fault sometimes. I somehow fucked up. So the spiritual kind of uh, becoming, I want to be a master yogi. 
I'm going to sit retreats and I'm going to, you know, be a monk and I'm going to study every Dharma practice and I'm going to meditate, you know, eight times a day. I want to practice meditation so I can become free from pain. I want to become enlightened so I can elevate beyond my now state of being. You know, it's an avoidance strategy, getting rid of whatever's here isn't enough. And so if I can meditate hard enough, which is a little bit what kind of what the Buddha was started with, like, I got to figure this shit out. Like, I'm suffering and everyone around me is suffering. And there is this way, like the lotus, that we can rise above. But rising above isn't about getting rid of. It's actually about embracing what sometimes what people call Buddha nature right? or the treasure. Sometimes it's called the hidden treasure. One of my teachers um, used to give this Dharma talk uh, and it's called, there's a Ruby inside. And it was about the preciousness of our own being right here, right now. And when we can awaken to it, the, the, the story is that it's like a Sufi story that, you know, there was this man and he was given a map. He was told that there is this, this precious ruby that um, a traveler had hidden. And so he went searching all around for it and, uh, and he couldn't find it. And he was despair and he like, you know, gave it, he like, you know, abandoned his like family and quit his job. And he was like, if I can just find this precious ruby, and then at the end, he was like, kind of, he's broke and he's desperate. And he was like, you know, suicidal, depressed. And he looks under his bed and there's a ruby. And so the idea was like, he was looking all over for it. And it was actually in his own heart, in his own, in his own home. That's about all I remember about Bob Stahl's Dharma talk from eight years ago. I want to enjoy all the sense pleasures without having to give up anything and still become enlightened, right? This is the, the pleasure seekers. This is the, the, uh, the desire junkies, right? I want to, you know, what's the matter? Like the Buddhism is so down on pleasure. What's up with that? They're so like not into love and joy. They're all talking about suffering, you know? I want to enjoy all of the good. You know, why do you have to give stuff up? I only want to give up what I don't like. I don't want to give up any of the pleasure that life has to offer. The wisdom of the Buddhist teaching is that um, pleasure seeking, that kind of unwholesome desire that fuels greed, that fuels miserliness, that fuels uh, separation, um, is a dead end. It never actually makes you happy. Case in point, I like donuts. Sometimes after a Dharma talk, I'll go to, to the donut and get three donuts. 
usually, well, I'm not going to get into details, but, <laughs> and then I'll be like, I want to eat the donut. No, I should wait till the morning. It's too late to eat now. Like I'm, I'm on, I'm trying to be fit. You know, I'm trying to kind of watch my weight and then I'll eat it. Like I have just, okay, I'll just have a little piece, <laughs> you know, and I eat it. And then I'm like, okay, I'll just eat. I already broke into that one. Right. Yeah. So I'm just going to eat the whole donut. And then, you know, Lately, I've been doing pretty good. I only eat one donut. But, you know, they go stale if you, they sit around too long. So anyway, it's the, that, few, that kind of feeding, the craving, the wanting, the pleasure, but not wanting any of the negative, right? Like feeling lethargic the next day or being on a sugar high and not being able to sleep in time, like go to sleep, you know, well, because I'm usually I'm buzzed. I'm pretty sensitive to that shit, I guess. Um, you know, having wanted to go to the gym, work out twice as hard, you know, and then it starts this obsession about how I'm never going to get a six pack. And... <laughs> so when we get, you know, disillusioned with trying to become something, then there's this desire to get rid of other things. If I become this, I have to get rid of that. I have to remove these parts of myself, right? Which is also, it's like, I want to cut out my past experience of when I was 10 years old and that happened, or I was 12 or, you know, five years ago. I just want to cut it out of my life. Just lobotomize it out of my brain. I want to never do that behavior again. I want to get rid of it. And from the Buddhist perspective, this is not enlightenment. This is avoidance. Because true awakening is to love all of us, all of our parts, right? And to actually, in the, in the Western psychological, it's about integrating the parts so that we're not in this love-hate relationship with ourselves. Like, I like my nose, but I don't like my ears. I like my job, but I don't like where I live. You know, you ever get into that? like my feet, but not my hands, you know. I mean, you know, I'm making stuff up, but people get into it, you know. There's also this whole getting rid of, and I'm gonna end in a minute, and we'll have to kind of, we'll cycle back down to this, but there's this whole getting, I want to get rid of my suffering. I just wanna get rid of my suffering. You have it. You, you clearly don't have enough suffering. I have a lot of suffering and you should take some of mine, right? I want to get rid of it somehow. I want to vanish it. I want to, you know, make it hocus pocus. But that doesn't work either. Because the first noble truth is recognize the origin. Well, recognize that there is suffering. So that's good. So I see the suffering. And then the cause of suffering, craving, getting rid of. I cra- I want, I'm craving to get rid of my suffering. It's craving so hard. Right? getting rid of my anger, my jealousy, my fear, my anxiety. I just want to get rid of it. I just want to go away. And if I learn to meditate and count my breath, it's going to go away, right? No, that shit doesn't work. I tried it for years. And I would avoid it for a while. You know, I could set it on the back burner. You know, and this is one of the ways in which, um, you know, the Buddha really – 
uh, uh, discouraged people getting too much into concentrated meditations, what's called samadhi, and not enough vipassana, insight, because it's the integration of concentrated awareness and insight, which is mindfulness, basically. Being, so when I'm asking you during a meditation, like to be like to recognize, see when your mind gets distracted and then recognize what's happening in your, in your current experience. So that's mindfulness. And the concentration is, you know, breathing in, breathing out, staying, you know, focused on the one thing, which helps to settle the mind so that we can then see the stark reality of our crazy everyday fucking mind. Right? And the judgments and the criticisms that are usually stemming from some negative core belief that we learned when we were seven. That has been fueled by all of the greed of our corporate America and the rest of the world too, because everyone wants to be consumers in some way. All right, I'm running out of time. I got to end. So we'll pick it up from there. Getting rid of, there's a few more, and then there's some letting go. It's uh, a minute or two, we have a minute or two. So um, questions, thoughts, comments, I kind of got a little bit distracted and on a roll. So, um, but hey, that's what this is about. It's not, it doesn't all get unpacked all the time. Thoughts, reflections, questions, in the room, in the Zoom, we have time for one or two. There's something you were just like, I have no idea. Yeah. So as you've been talking, I've been kind of struggling with this notion of myself as a pleasure seeker. So I'll use a specific example. I I love live music. I love to go to concerts. I spend a lot of money going to festivals. Any opportunity I get, I take mm-hmm. it to mm-hmm. go do that. But I don't feel like I'm unhappy if I'm not. Uh huh. If, if you don't go. Uh huh. So I'm struggling with where does my pleasure seeking fit in? to what you're talking about right now is it a is it like do i stop do i do i have to take a step away from it in order to understand my relationship to it even though i'm not feeling badly if i'm not doing it like there's there's something i'm stuck on right Mm, now mm. because it doesn't feel like a bad pleasure to seek Mm-hmm. But I do feel like there is something there that's coming up for me as you're talking about it. Yeah. So. That's a great contemplation. Something just to, I mean, that's what the hope of this kind of a teaching is. Oh, like, is that unhealthy? Am I being unskillful in my desire? Am I grasping? Am I pissed off if I can't get tickets or if it gets canceled because of COVID, you know? Is it ruining, am I, do I fall into a depression? Do I, you know? Um, so the contemplate, yeah. Pleasure's not bad. It's innate. It's part of this world. Desire's not bad. 
right? I get into that a little bit later, I'll break it down, but you know, I'll just give you the short version. And so what I love about uh, Noah's teaching is that he's, he's come up with this phrase, and it's brilliant, non-attached appreciation, right? So can I have a non-attached appreciation of an experience that will arise and pass away? And can I, and if it doesn't arise again, can I be okay with it while it's here? Can I enjoy it, but not be attached knowing that it will pass away? You know, watch a sunset and just stay with it and, and experience all the beauty of it. And it's easy for us to let go of sunsets. You ever notice that? We can enjoy them, but it's easy to let go. You know why? It's going to be one to fucking tomorrow. Maybe. Maybe. I mean, maybe for 50 more years until the earth explodes, but, you know. But non-attached appreciation. So experience that. And then also sometimes it's useful, and then we'll end, to, um, to, to actually renounce something for a period of time to really explore am i am i deluding myself about my desire am i actually really attached and i'm just like oh i'm totally not attached to that you know i'm so like you know so buddhist like i'm just not even i don't have any kind of attachments you know right it's important i think to recognize because that's actually a, 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 a can be a form of avoidance I'm just totally not attached to anything, you know? So that's a, that's, in, that's a little bit of an avoidance strategy. So just to kind of contemplate for yourself, I think it's great that you brought it up, especially this thing, it's enjoyable. I enjoy lots of things that, you know, skillful or unskillful, I mean, they could be, you know, depending on the, my mindset, depending on the situation. But the ability to enjoy something and not be attached when the inevitability of impermanence takes place, that's a, that's a key. Relationships are actually good like that, too. I enjoy being in this relationship, knowing that someone will die first. You know, regardless. All right. More next week. In the next episode of, I don't know, Let Go of Craving. Thanks, folks. Sorry we weren't able to uh, get all your questions and stuff. We'll do it next time. Knowing that we uh, are a center run completely on the donation of those who attend. So those who are here, there's a bowl. There's a Venmo in front of the bowl. Um, you can go online and against the stream and click the donate button and give to us. Um, we don't charge anything. It's not a $25 drop-in like when you go to your, you know, your Bikram or whatever yoga class or, you know because it's freely offered but we need help to sustain and if you're online there's a link in the chat that Mike so graciously puts up so I don't have to remember and um, all the goodness of our practice let's gather up all the goodness of our practice the effort Every time that we recognize that our attention has wandered off and we come back and we're forgiving and kind to ourselves is building merit, goodness, energy, 
and we're dedicating this energy to all beings. May all beings awaken. May all beings be free from suffering and the causes of suffering. May we all be free. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. This is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream and Refuge Recovery. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes.